Now, I have the privilege and honour this morning of uh, welcoming to the stage to bring you the Word of God, someone whom we, we sent away, 2007 I think it was, we sent them off to Sydney um, to do a one-year course in ministry and at the end of that year they rang us and said, we're not coming back. But today they are back. They not only finished their college course there, but they came back with a husband. They've since had three gorgeous children. And uh, she is a, a person, I, I, don't, I don't want to make her nervous, but you need to pin your ears back because Carmen brings the word of God from her heart and it is powerful and it is incredibly fruitful in her life and in other people's lives. So I want you to welcome Carmen Allington to the stage. Thank you. You are too kind. You may be seated. This morning we're going to continue our series on Luke 15 and the story of the prodigal son. Brianna, you may take a seat. We're going to watch a video um, created by the Bible Project uh, and uh, it gives us a bit of context about um, the environment in which Jesus told this parable and I think it'll give us a bit of an insight into what was going on at the time and, and why, what prompted Jesus to tell this story. So let's look at the screen. The Gospel of Luke opened with the birth of Jesus. Then Luke showed us how Jesus was Israel's Messiah announcing the good news of God's kingdom to the poor and how he was God's true prophet to Israel. In this next section, Jesus sets out with his disciples on a long road trip to Jerusalem where they'll join thousands of Israelites to celebrate the ancient feast of Passover. Now, Luke wants this road trip from the mountain to Jerusalem to remind you of ancient Israel's long road trip. With Moses, they went from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land. And then later, King David established Jerusalem as their capital. And so here, Luke is portraying Jesus as a new Moses, who's renewing Israel's covenant with God, and as a new David. He's gathering the people together to live under his rule. As Jesus leaves, he sends out a wave of his followers ahead of him to prepare each new place for his visit. Then Jesus would arrive, announcing the good news of God's kingdom, and he would call people to follow him and join this new thing God was doing in Israel. There are many of his teachings and parables in this section, specifically about how following Jesus will force you to totally rethink your money, how you resolve conflict, and how you treat the poor. In every town, Jesus would create communities of people who were learning to live in a totally new way, so that greed would be transformed into generosity and anger into forgiveness. And in these Jesus communities, all outsiders are welcome. Yeah, good news for the poor. That's one of Luke's main themes. Yeah, you'll find it all over this section. The marginalized people that he heals, the shamed sex workers he reaches out to, the tax collectors he includes. This is Jesus's kingdom crew. 
And Israel's religious leaders watch and start to criticize him. If he really is God's prophet, why is he welcoming sinners and eating with them? Yeah, this section reads like the battle of the banquets. So Jesus throws these dinner parties as a symbol of how God's kingdom is here for the sick and the poor, people who could never pay him back. Jesus also attends banquets with Israel's religious leaders. Yeah, and he lays into them for becoming an arrogant, exclusive social club. But they don't get it, and so he tells them a famous parable that goes like this. There was a father who had two sons. The older son is trustworthy and honors his father. And the younger son, he's a mess. He rebels and cashes in his inheritance to travel far away and blow it all on partying and being stupid. And then there's a famine in the land and he runs out of money. So he has to scrape by by taking care of somebody's pigs. And he's so hungry he wants to eat the pig slop, at which point it occurs to him, if I'm going to be a farmhand, I might as well go home and work for my dad. At least I won't be eating pig food. So he treks back home, rehearsing his apology. Now, the father is certain that his son did not survive the famine. But then, one day, he sees someone walking down the road. It's his son. He's not dead. And so the father runs to him and embraces his son, kissing him all over. The son starts his speech. Dad, I don't deserve to be your son. Maybe I could come and work for you. But before he can finish, the father calls his servants to go get the nicest robe, new sandals, a fancy ring for his son. They are to prepare the best food for a banquet. It is time to celebrate. Now later that day, the older brother arrives from a long day working in the field to discover his long lost loser of a brother has come home. And they're celebrating? And he gets angry. And think about it. He's been faithful to his father all of these years. He never got a party like this. And then this disgrace of a family member comes home and they're going to celebrate him? It's disgusting. He refuses to join the banquet. So the father finds the older brother outside and he says, Son, you are already in our family. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate your brother because he was lost. And now he's found. He was dead. But now he's alive. Jesus wants the religious leaders to see the outsiders the way God sees them, as sons and daughters that are being reclaimed from death. Jesus' kingdom community was wide open to anybody. The only entry requirement is to humble yourself and recognize your need for God's mercy. And so the religious leader's rejection of Jesus and his crew is actually a rejection of the God of Israel. The leaders don't like all this. And so as Jesus' road trip comes to an end, the conflict is at a boiling point. Yeah, he's going to ride towards Jerusalem for Passover as they plot to take his life. And that's what the next section of Luke is all about. Great. Does that give everyone a bit of context? It's a really great video, isn't it? Nathan um, used the Bible Project video, I think, at uh, Pentecost when we were talking about the Holy Spirit. And these guys are incredible. They, they, uh, they make it really basic and simple to understand. And I love, I love everything they say in there. I love the, the battle of the banquets. <laughs> really was. There was this tension between the religious leaders who were pious and judgmental and harsh and Jesus saying, no, no, God's kingdom is for everyone. I've come for everyone. I've come to make a way for everyone. No one is excluded. And he tells this story, the story of the prodigal son, because it is the story of reconciliation and restoration. And this is the heart of the gospel message. This is what Jesus came to bring. God loves us so much that he wants, oh, sorry, 
<laughs> God loves us so much that He wants us all to be reconciled and restored to Him. No one is excluded. Everyone is welcome in God's family. God's love for us is so immense that He will go to great lengths to recover us. And He did. As Pastor Vicky so beautifully said this morning, God the Father sacrificed Jesus, His only Son, so our sin could no longer separate us from Him. Each story in Luke 15 is about something valuable which is lost and then recovered. Leaving the 99 sheep and seeking out the one that is lost, searching high and low for one lost coin out of 10, losing a son and then welcoming him back. And in this way, I think God's love itself is prodigal. Prodigal is defined as wastefully or recklessly extravagant, giving or yielding profusely, lavish, lavishly abundant. Profuse, there it is again. This must be true, saying it again and again. God's love is extravagant. It never ceases and it is completely lavish and abundant. I came across the Hebrew word used in the Old Testament to describe the kind of love God has for us. And it's the word ahava. Can everyone say ahava? So it's like ahava. You have it in your head all week. Ahava. Anyway, so it is the kind of love that a parent feels for a child or spouses feel for one another, that kind of love. So where does God's love come from? It originates from God's own character. He loves because he is love. 1 John 4.16 states that God is love. We don't deserve it and we can't earn it. It is an everlasting love. Jeremiah talks about this and in chapter 31. It doesn't end because it has no beginning. It just is. So God's love is the greatest because it is eternal and it reflects his own character. But God's love doesn't merely exist and this is great for us. It is a genuine feeling and affection God has for us and it, he experiences. And it, but it is more than just sentiment. It is something God does. The affection God feels for us moves him to action. In John 3.16 says, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Sorry, that's what John writes. And when we know God's love for ourselves, we show our love for him by the way we treat other people. God's love is imitated by our actions to the people around us. So when we have God's love on the inside, the way we show it is to show His love to other people. So today, my prayer is that those of us who haven't experienced God's love for ourselves will choose to accept His love and forgiveness. And for those of us who already do have a relationship with Jesus and live in His love, we will be re-inspired and encouraged to imitate God's love 
being completely lavish with our love for others. Can you pray with me? Thank you. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it is true and it doesn't lie. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so we could be made right with you. And we thank you, God, that everyone, absolutely everyone, is welcome in your kingdom and there are no exceptions. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy tears. When you know God's love for you, you can't help but be moved. And you can't help but have a desire for everyone to feel the same. So this story really does go to the heart of Jesus' message. And therefore it is full of opportunities to learn about God's character, his purpose and his promises to us. So in the first week of this series, Pastor Chris spoke to us about God accepts us with all our failings and shortcomings. Jesus has paid the price for our sin and upon repentance, God's response is always welcome home. And last week, the second message in this series, Pastor Chris talked about hearing the voice of God. And today, as I mentioned before, we're going to focus on part of Jesus' core business in this passage to reveal how much God loves us and that no one is excluded from this, passage, from this lavish love. Thanks, David. So the story of the prodigal son is full of opportunities to learn about God's loving nature. So we just, excuse me for a sec. So I'm just going to really quickly read through the parable and, and then we'll get into it. So from verse 11, so Jesus has um, told the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and then he's like, they're still not getting it. I'm going to tell another one. So he really goes for it here. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. I just love, give me. Mm. Wrong thing. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and then squandered his wealth in wild living. That's where prodigal comes from. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, feed, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Interesting. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He's rehearsing the speech. So he got up and went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. There's a little bit more, but I just want to focus on that part of the passage this morning. So there are, there are three key aspects about God's loving character that I want to focus and talk about today. And the first is that God is merciful and kind and we need to be the same. So the son had demanded his inheritance and left without a trace. He spent his fortune. He was wastefully extravagant until his fortune completely disappeared. The son rebelled about as much as a person possibly could Rejecting his father and squandering his fortune on sinful living, he was completely self-centred and gave no consideration to his future or anyone else's. So when the famine came to the land he was living in, he had to enslave himself to a Gentile. And for a Jew, this was repulsive. Then to add insult to injury, he had to look after pigs. And pigs were forbidden by Jewish law. So... Even worse, just gets worse and worse and worse. The son was completely shamed and filthy. But it didn't matter to the father. It didn't. He embraced him anyway. He overlooked the whole thing. And God is the same. Isn't that good news? God doesn't judge you. He doesn't judge me. He will accept you right now just as you are. He's a merciful father. In Ephesians 2 verses 3 to 5, Paul writes, all of us used to live that way, all of us, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. In Romans 3.23, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we've all been there, all of us. But God is so rich in mercy, just like the Father in this passage. The Son knew his Father's character. I love that. He knew that he could return and at least be a servant in his Father's house. So if that's you today, if you're feeling completely unworthy of his love, we are, but God loves us anyway and accepts us. And if we truly want to imitate God's love, we need to withhold our judgment of others. So if you you have accepted God's love, then, then that's where we need, that's a place we need to operate from. 1 Corinthians 13, the great passage on love, says that love is patient and kind. Just like the sun, everyone has a moment when they come to themselves and realise that there must be more to life. I love that he just comes to himself. It's like, 
I could be doing this at home. I don't need to be doing this for someone else. And we have to love people abundantly in the meantime. Pastor Phil Pringle writes, mercy is the environment in which true repentance takes place, not a condemning atmosphere. So, you know, it's really hard, but don't pass judgment on the Buddha statue in the house or the ugly tattoos or the myriad of other things that might make your head spin because, you know what, if you tear those things down with your words, you tear the person down. That might be all they have, might be all they're clinging to and we have to be kind and merciful and just withhold our judgment and love. Love doesn't tear people down. It is patient and kind and we need to create a kind and merciful atmosphere wherever we go. The Jewish leaders were elitist and judgmental and generally, sadly, the world, people in the world see God and Christians, it's just the same. Complete hypocrites. The father could have turned the son away. The father in the story could have turned the son away. He was rebellious, sinful and stinky. I chose that word because I think it's funny because it's something my kids would say, stinky. There's a lot of stinky this morning. <sighs> Still got the smell of Toby's poo in my nose. <sighs> it's like you try to focus, try to like, well, I can smell is that poo. I should have, I should have enslaved Esther to that one this morning. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Instead, the father was merciful because the most important thing was that the son had returned. That's the most important thing. Condemnation and judgment drove Gandhi from the house of God. I think some of you may have heard this story, but the Reverend uh, Patterson tells, tells this story. He says, one Sunday morning, Gandhi decided that he would visit one of the Christian churches in Calcutta. Upon seeking entrance to the church sanctuary, he was stopped at the door by the ushers. He was told he was not welcome, nor would he be permitted to attend this particular church as it was for high caste Indians and whites only. He was neither high caste nor white. Because of the rejection, the Mahatma turned his back on Christianity. And with this act, Gandhi rejected the Christian faith, never again to consider the claims of Christ. He was turned off by the sin of segregation that was practiced by the church. It was due to this experience that Gandhi later declared, I'd be a Christian if it were not for the Christians. Isn't that disgusting? Isn't that sad? That's not what God's about. That's not what Jesus came for. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says that people judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I love that. Our mother used to tell Ashley and I that, you know, the body is just a zip-up suit. And it served us really well <laughs> to have that little voice in our head going, don't, don't look at the outward appearance. You just don't know them by looking at the exterior. One of the greatest ways we can show God's love is to be merciful and reserve our judgment. Another pearl of wisdom my mother imparted to us was, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I have this voice in my head constantly, don't, just don't say it, just don't, just bite your tongue. Can't take words back. Once they're out there, it's done. And I found this quote from Henry James recently, and I love it. 
He says, three things in human life are important. The first is to be kind. The second is to be kind. And the third is to be kind. In a world where kindness is seriously underrated, when we imitate God's love by showing kindness and mercy, it will stand out and people will find it really attractive. God is merciful and kind and we need to do the same. The second thing is that God forgives and we in turn need to be forgiving of others. We had such a great discussion about this uh, passage in Connect Group in our first week and there were a few people who were saying who just saying that they loved that the father was already out watching for his son. He wasn't busy or occupied. He was scaling the horizon, anticipating a return. And he saw him from a long way away. God is waiting and watching in anticipation for you to return to him. When we come into God's view, he has compassion. His love for us moves him to action. What I love even more is the fact that the father in the story, he cut his son off. He didn't get to finish the speech he'd rehearsed. The father only wanted to accept him as the son. He didn't want to even hear about the slave bit. Only would accept him as a son. The son was admitting that he wasn't worthy and was asking for forgiveness and that was enough. That's all the father needed to hear. And that's all God wants to hear us say. He just wants to say, he asked to say to him, I'm sorry, I tried to live life my way. True repentance admits that we aren't worthy to be called sons of God. Oh, sorry. It's all good. New iPad. <laughs> uh, yeah. But through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, taking away our sin, we are now called worthy. So in Romans 3.23, says that yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from penalty of our sins. So take heart today if that's you. You haven't done that yet. Just know God forgives and he's really ready and waiting to forgive you. All you need, as said in the video, is to humble yourself before Jesus. That's all it takes, a moment of humility. And in turn, people who know they are loved and forgiven by God have the power to love and forgive others. We do. Sometimes we forget. I forget. I said, I admitted to our connect group, gee, I find forgiveness hard. I really do. I don't know whether it's because I sort of wear my heart on my sleeve and I love people and invest in them and I tend to have high expectations which comes back to bite me in the bottom but I think just sometimes it's forget I forget how much God loves me and has forgiven me out of that great love and so I think it's really important that we remember the day sorry that we remember day in day out the forgiveness we receive from God and we can live out of that place and be forgiving of others. Can you remember what it was like to experience his love for the first time? Can you take yourself back to that moment? We need to be prepared to share that story. 
People want to know your experience of God. They just they don't want to hear the rules and they, they don't want to know about God. They want to know what you've experienced in your life and how it's changed and affected you. So this is an example. I'll share mine. And we and uh, at this week at leaders meeting, it was quite a coincidence. Pastor Chris talked about the importance of knowing our story and sharing it succinctly. So I'm going to try and do it in two minutes. Here we go. So as a little girl, I was quite anxious and I had a, had some um, important people in my life who I really struggled to gain approval and acceptance of and I found myself working really, really hard to get that and it just made me more and more anxious. But then um, came a day when I was about nine and my mum's best friend invited her to church and then my sister and I started coming to church and we loved it. We felt at home, there was a warm loving family which we didn't really experience in our extended family and so we felt right at home and there was something different about it and when we um, started going to children's church, um, a few weeks later, the person leading her asked if we wanted to pray a prayer to invite Jesus into our lives. And, you know, Ashley and I, my sister, I was sitting there and with our eyes closed and I just felt my hand go up. I'm like, yeah, I've got to do that. It was as if God was totally bypassing my brain and speaking right to my heart. And it's a prayer I prayed. I, I declared that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Saviour and I asked for forgiveness and said, I'm going to live my life God's way. And as I did, tears started falling from my eyes, completely involuntary, just like my hand going up, tears, tears streaming down my face. Because in that moment, I experienced something I never experienced before. It was God's peace that anxiety just washed away and I realised that the only person who I needed to love and accept me completely was God. That's it. That's all you need to say. And everyone's story is different and beautiful and just as meaningful and impactful because it's yours. And it'll mean so much to the people around you because... They know you and they know what you've been through in your life. So that's all it takes. God forgives. We need to be forgiving of others. Brianna, could I get you up now, sweetie? Thank you. And my final point, child, it's just amazing. God celebrates people who find his love and we need to celebrate with them. So in all three stories in Luke 15, there is a great celebration when the lost item was found or returned. So it says, you know, Jesus tells a story, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So that's verse um, 6 and 7. And then in verse 9 and 10, it says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then we go to the lost son story. 
the father says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. All of heaven will celebrate with you. God isn't exasperated. He's not tired of waiting. His tone isn't sarcasm like, oh, thank goodness. Another one over the line. That was a hard slog. He's not thinking, oh, now I've got to go back to work and get another one in. No. Some blew it, but he made a step towards his father. Um. Is a life recovered and restored. The son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Then they began to celebrate. The ring, the robe, the sandals, the food are all gracious provisions by the Father and completely undeserved. Each one of those things represents something very special. We don't really have time to go into it today, but just know that they were abundant, lavish, just totally undeserved gifts because he'd he'd rejected his father. He'd said no to all of that. But here is the father just giving it back. Some blew it, but he made a step towards his father and he was accepted and restored to his place as his son. God can't wait to shower you with his affection. All you need to do is take a step towards your father in heaven. All you need to do today is pray that same prayer as the son in the story. Father, I've sinned against you. I'm not perfect. I'm sorry. But I want to accept your love. Today, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. Thank you for forgiving me and calling me worthy. That's it. Mercy, no judgment, forgiveness celebration in that prayer. 1 John 4 verse 9 to 10 says that God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I just want to give an opportunity, if you haven't done that this morning, to do that. So would everyone please just close their eyes. I just want to take the time to do that right now. So we can have a peaceful moment, a private moment. If you have never accepted his love, or or you once did, but you find yourself sort of, We've wandered away and you're feeling lost and like a rebel again. But you want to re-enter that love. I encourage you, take that step this morning. So if that's you, if you've never experienced that love or you have but you want to again, could you please just raise your head right now in this place? Awesome. 
Let's all open our eyes. I know that sometimes it can be a real hard thing to do, to pop your hand up and say that that's me. So let's all just pray this prayer together anyway. And if you really do feel like you prayed that for the first time and you want to tell someone about it, please do so after the service and we'd love to chat with you and celebrate with you. So why don't we just all pray that prayer, just pray those words after me. So, Father, I've sinned against you. I'm not perfect. I'm sorry. But I want to accept your love. Today, I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Saviour. Thank you for forgiving me and calling me worthy. Wonderful. So if you did do that for the first time but you didn't raise your hand, please talk to the person who brought you and um, we'd love to help you on your journey. For those of us who do have God, we have accepted his love. Just like the father in the story, the house of God should be prepared to celebrate at the drop of a hat. The main function of the church is preparing a place where people can meet God and then celebrating with them. We can't afford to get caught in up in our religious duties, our favourite seat, our own ideas and purposes. Believe me, I've done that. I've been there. We're not perfect. But we are all about preparing a place for people who need God's love and we show that to them by putting care and effort into everything we do. From the on-trend design to the beautiful worship, friendly people greeting on the door, amazing food and coffee, a service that is well-planned, a children's ministry that is fun and engaging, the list goes on and on. But our desire is excellence, driven by a love for people and showing them that we love and care. Isn't that right, Pastor Chris and Vicky? That's, that's what we're here for. And we need to be ready to celebrate. We are ready to explain the decision that a person has made and we are excited to live out the journey of following Jesus with them. This is discipleship. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, his command in Matthew 28 was that we go and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we keep the celebration going. We journey through life's ups and downs, the successes and failures. We mourn and we celebrate. We grow in God's love and we become more and more like Christ. God is merciful and kind. We need to be the same. God forgives. We need to be forgiving of others. God celebrates people who find his love and we need to celebrate with them. Can you all stand with me this morning? I just want to pray for us. Why don't you close your eyes and just lift your hands. Thank you, God. Jemima, sorry. It's a word I say several times a day. It's my daughter's name. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus. A J name. I should be saying Jesus' name far more times a day than my own child's. 
Ah, it's the other way around, unfortunately. Okay, thank you, Lord. Jesus, thank you. Jesus commands us to love God and love others. This is our calling. In Mark, Jesus says the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Loving God and others is our highest calling. We can get a little dry. We can get a little judgmental. We can be a bit unforgiving and ignorant. And we're only human, we're not perfect, happens. But I'm going to pray over you the same prayer that Paul prayed over the Ephesians. And I pray that as we do, our hearts are filled afresh with just a love for people. And why don't you just take yourself back to that moment where you accepted Jesus for the first time. What did you feel? What did you experience What did accepting God's love, Jesus' sacrifice, mean to you? I'm going to pray this prayer. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Amen. Amen. So I encourage you this week. Maybe in your connect groups, share your story. Boil it down to about a couple of minutes. Be ready to tell it. Keep praying for those people in your lives that you're particularly believing will experience God's love. And pray for the power to give them that prodigal love. Thank you. What an awesome message. Join me in thanking Carmen this morning.